from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, good afternoon. This is Tolu Oloranipo with The Washington Post. Hi, this is Amy Britton calling in The Post. This is Peter Jameson from The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, December 22nd. Today, the new coronavirus variant in the UK. Plus, Biden's historic pick for Interior Secretary and what it means for our nation's land. Yesterday afternoon, I was briefed on the latest data that shows the virus spreading more rapidly in London, the southeast and the east of England than would be expected, given the tough restrictions that are already in place. Over the weekend, Boris Johnson and the British government announced that London and a lot of South and Southeast England were going into what they call Tier 4. That means residents in those areas must stay at home, apart from limited exemptions set out in law. All non-essential shops were shut, the gyms, the nail salons, barbershops, all this other thing. So that messed with Santa's plans for many families. It is with a very heavy heart, I must tell you, we cannot continue with Christmas as planned. London Bureau Chief Bill Booth spoke to our editor and producer, Lexi Diao. Part of the reason for this was that they detected in the last few weeks a variant of the coronavirus that appears to be, evidence suggests that it's more transmissible. It spreads faster. Maybe it spreads 40% faster and maybe 70% faster, but it's more transmissible. They haven't detected any sign that it makes people more sick or that would affect vaccines, but they were concerned by the quick spread of it around. So something like 80% of the cases now in London are this new variant. And they, the scientists don't really love the where the mutations have changed on the virus because they're all – a lot of them are around the spike protein and the spike protein is how the, how the bug gets into your cells. And how does it act differently? It, it would act differently in the sense that it, it appears to be more transmissible, more infectious. So they don't know whether that means a lower load of virus will make you sick or whether it just takes off faster. But they don't see any sign that it makes people who have it any sicker or, or, or any more deaths or, or hospitalizations or that it might affect the vaccines uh, being rolled out. But it is more transmissible, they think. Does it appear to impact the same population that is more vulnerable to coronavirus? So, you know, the elderly. They think it's it's ubiquitous in, in the population, meaning just like the previous version, it affects the same people in the same ways. Children might be more liable to get this version, but that still is so early. There's just like a hint of evidence to suggest that. And the UK scientists, the British scientists being very careful not to say it makes it more, you know, efficient or effective or dastardly in any way towards children. They're just seeing a little bit of evidence that this one might be more transmissible among children than the previous versions. Do we know if this new variant has made its way to other countries? 
Yes, there's something very similar th that they've nailed down in South Africa, but they don't think the British one went to South Africa, but it, it seems very similar. There are also versions of the variant they found in Britain that they've detected in Denmark so far in the Netherlands. And Britain does lots, tons more, bunches of more genomic uh, sequencing, testing of, of virus samples than other countries in Europe. So Europe could have much more of it present there and they haven't detected yet. But all the scientists say, you know, if it's in London, hold on, it'll, it'll pop up in, in Paris and Madrid and Rome. How are other countries responding to this? <laughs> other countries are responding, I guess you could call it with great caution. More than 40 countries, in addition to most of Europe, have said that they don't want uh, airplanes coming from Britain, from the UK, and delivering passengers there. France has stopped truck traffic across the English Channel. So there are ferries and the Eurotunnel uh, takes goods back and forth between France and Britain. And that traffic has come to a standstill starting of midnight Sunday night. So there really wasn't any passage all day Monday. It's Tuesday mid-late afternoon and they still haven't come up with a solution. So I'm sorry, are you telling me that just days before Christmas there are truckloads of food and potentially presents that are sitting on a standstill that just can't enter the UK? Yes, <laughs> I am. And a lot of that traffic that crosses the English Channel, since it's slightly more expensive uh, mode of transport, so it doesn't come in a cargo or container ship, but this would be fruits, vegetables, tangerines, um, and I guess anyone also shipping around DHL or FedEx packages or all sorts of the Royal Mail, people who are sending things back and forth that might be of a more get-it-there-fast, just-in-time delivery, and that might include some items from Santa. And how has Prime Minister Boris Johnson responded to these closures? Well, Boris Johnson has like a load of, of problems. He um, he does not have a Brexit deal uh, with the EU, even though Britain is leaving in less than 10 days. This border closure has really uh, hit uh, England and the UK hard. It surprised everyone. It's like Brexit before Brexit. There's some chaos and it, it shows them, you know, what a bad, hard Brexit might look like. Boris is also in, in trouble because, you know, he promised people uh, that that Christmas would go ahead, that that they would be there, be they'd be able to celebrate and gather with a couple of different households in the UK to celebrate Christmas. It's a big deal here, like it is in many places, and that you know now for London and most of part big parts of England has been cancelled. So Boris is b being blamed in the tabloids for being the ultimate Grinch for canceling <laughs> Christmas, for going back on his word. He said it would be inhumane to cancel Christmas. Well, he just did it, you know, two days ago. How could this mutation impact Brexit and the UK's ability to actually broker a deal with the European Union in a timely manner before they do, in fact, crash out? Well, it, it doesn't help things at all because, you know, negotiators, for example, cannot take the Eurostar train through the Eurotunnel to go back and forth between Brussels and travel has been suspended, stopped. Britain is in a, a bit of, of a muddle right now about what to do about this variant. And also some hardline Brexiteers have said, well, the French are just punishing 
the Brits by by making this the English Channel close down. But I don't think that's really true. And and Boris Johnson yesterday said he understood the actions of you know uh, Britain's friends in Europe and around the world who were concerned about this variant of the coronavirus. I've just spoken to uh, President. Uh, Macron, we had a very uh, good call and we both understand each other's positions and want to resolve these problems as fast as, as possible. So some people are urging Boris to, to punt, to delay, to, to kick the, the can into January 2021 and keep negotiating Brexit trade deals then. But he has maintained that the Brexit means Brexit. And the UK is out of the EU on December 31st at the stroke of midnight. This seems like such a sad moment for the UK in a lot of ways. It wasn't that long ago when we saw the first vaccines being rolled out there. It was such a joyful moment, I think, for everybody. What is the sense there now? Well, you, you get that exactly right. You're, you're spot on. I mean, the, the UK was first to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine. It was, it was happy days are here again. Uh, we're going to get out of this mess. But I mean, this is a super bummer. It's Christmas. You can't gather with um, family and friends. Can't go visit your grandma. You can't, you know, do a lot of things that people were kind of really planning and hoping to do after nine crummy months. I'd say it's a glum, it's a glum Christmas week. It's not a happy place. Bill Booth is the London bureau chief for The Post. Lexi Diao is an editor and producer for Post Reports. The Interior Department is a strangely named department that has a lot of consequence. It oversees one-fifth of all U.S. land. This includes national parks, wilderness areas, wildlife refuges, and it just has a tremendous amount of impact for people who live near and work on this land, which mostly exists out west and in Alaska. My name is Dino Grandoni, and I'm an energy and environmental reporter here at The Post. The Interior Secretary is in charge of deciding how this land is used, whether it's left as wilderness and as habitat for plants and animals, whether humans are allowed to go there and recreate in the form of parks, or whether we let industry into these areas to extract for oil or minerals or for ranching. President Trump has had two different interior secretaries, Ryan Zinke and David Bernhardt. And under their leadership, there's been an emphasis on letting more production, more development happen on these lands, whether it comes in the form of oil and gas drilling or mining or ranching. So the market understands that our some of our public lands, particularly offshore, and some onshore uh, BLM lands are important for making energy more uh, accessible. There's been an emphasis on opening up more of these areas to those sorts of businesses. And today I'm 
pleased to announce a team that will lead my administration's ambitious plan to address the existential threat of our time, <clears throat> climate change. Like, uh, so who did President-elect Joe Biden say that he plans to nominate as Interior Secretary? The president-elect has picked Representative Deb Holland from New Mexico to run the Interior Department for him. As the first Native American cabinet secretary in the history of the United States of America, she'll be a true steward of our national parks, our natural resources, and all of our lands. If she's confirmed by the Senate, she's going to be the very first Native American person in charge of the Interior Department, which, importantly, has the role of helping to oversee tribal lands. I'm proud to stand here on the ancestral homelands of the Lenape Tribal Nation. This moment is profound when we consider the fact that a former Secretary of the Interior once proclaimed his goal to, quote, civilize or exterminate us. I'm a living testament to the failure of that horrific ideology. So what is the significance of Biden's choice here? In selecting Holland, Biden's going to be putting a descendant of the original people to populate this this continent. Um, who are dispossessed of it, uh, in charge of a 171-year-old institution that has often had a pretty fraught relationship with um, the more than 500 tribes that are recognized by the federal government. And Representative Holland has a background like a lot of other Americans. She was born into a military family, uh, moved around a lot as a kid, attended 13 different public high schools. And when she was in college as an undergraduate and then Later on in law school, uh, she got by uh, with a mixture of student loans, food stamps, and actually experienced homelessness at a time uh, when she was a single mother. These struggles give me perspectives, though, so that I can help people to succeed. So not only is her experience relevant for Native Americans as a group, but it also brings some socioeconomic diversity to Biden's cabinet. The Biden-Harris cabinet, it will be historic. The cabinet that looks like America, that taps into the best of America, that opens doors and includes the full range of talents we have in this nation. A lot of Biden's allies see Holland's nomination as a step toward that. You know, this is a department that's kicked Native Americans off some of their own lands, including Yellowstone, one of the most iconic holdings of the Interior Department. And for those who live in Indian country, it is just profoundly important, symbolic, and really meaningful for them to see someone who has shared their experiences, who is Native American, in charge of this department. It was a happy day for us because we have a person who fights for us, who advocates for us, who fought for our inclusion in the initial CARES package funding for tribal communities, and she's fierce that way. One of the people we've heard from is uh, Ali Young, who uh, is with a group called Protect the Sacred. The grassroots initiative that works with Native youth to protect our cultures, our languages, and our medicine ways. To support Holland's nomination. And we knew that she was the person who should be in this position to work with all of our tribal communities across the country. Uh, because, you know, she, she works so well with not only tribal communities, and leaders, but also within the federal government. And I think she's that perfect person to bring those two together. And, and then beyond that, it's Native communities are far too often invisible in this country in our own homelands. 
And for her to hold this position, it's opened so many doors for our Native youth and our futures and what and the possibilities and what they can be. And for the first time, we get to look up to someone in this position of, I keep saying, change-making power because, um, you know, she she looks like us. She's she's had a, a rough journey to get where she's at, just like us. And, you know, we relate to her on so many different levels. In what ways was she a surprising choice for President-elect Biden? There's been some people, including Senator Kramer, Kevin Kramer from North Dakota, a Republican, who've said that she is too far to the left to have this sort of job to oppose to oil and gas and coal development. This is a person that's all in on the Green New Deal. I don't have to tell very many North Dakotans what the negative ramifications of that would be. So we're going to have to stand our ground and, and fight the fight. There, There's also been some worry among some top Democrats in the House that her absence will leave them with an even slimmer majority in that chamber until her seat is filled. And uh, that has stressed some of the top Democrats in, in, in the House out. So what policy priorities has she outlined if she does become Interior Secretary? Well, I can tell you that my priorities in Congress have been uh, certainly uh, climate change, renewable energy, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Representative Holland hails from a top oil and gas producing state, New Mexico. But she's pledged to transform this department from one that's a champion of fossil fuel development into one that's a promoter of renewable energy. To build back better. We don't want to go back to normal, right? We don't want to go back to where we were because that economy wasn't working for a lot of people. And so I think the key is to, I mean, we need to create jobs. And the renewable energy economy can create millions of jobs across the country. And that's consistent with President-elect Biden's climate change plan. He's called for an end to permitting of uh, oil and gas and coal extraction, which would be a major turnaround from what we've seen under President Trump. And actually a turnaround from what we saw under President Obama, too. It's a major declaration that Biden has made to end fossil fuel extraction on public lands. And it's now going to be up to Representative Holland, if she's confirmed, Interior Secretary Holland, to to fulfill that goal for Biden. So what does this choice of Holland say about Biden's bigger approach when it comes to environmental issues? One of the very first things that the Trump administration did at the Interior Department was roll back the size of two national monuments in Utah, Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante. And that move was deeply opposed by a lot of tribal groups who saw different sites within those areas as sacred. He has thrown tribal consultation essentially out the window. And we've seen that time and again, especially when it comes to places like Bears Ears, where they, you know, just cut off big swaths of those lands without even talking to any tribes. And they've sued, along with environmental groups, to stop that rollback from happening. Biden has said that he wants to restore protections to these areas, and uh, we're getting a very early signal of that sort of emphasis in this nomination of Holland. I mean, this Trump administration has essentially gutted everything that would 
would help Indian country to move forward. Uh, and I think there's a lot of repair that needs to be done. I know that um, career staff are, you know, the morale is down. Um, it's, there's going to be a lot of work to do, I think, just to correct the neglect of this administration. And in addition to Holland, Biden has picked Michael Regan, uh, environmental regulator from North Carolina, to be his head of the Environmental Protection Agency. He would be the first black man to serve as that role. He also picked an Obama veteran named Brenda Mallory to be his chair of the White House Council on Environmental Quality. She would be the first black woman to have that role. And with these picks, Biden's sending a clear message that the top official is charged with confronting climate change and other major environmental problems in this country will have a shared experience with the Americans who've been disproportionately affected by toxic air, by polluted land, and by rising temperatures. And when it comes to what these people will actually be able to achieve. In some ways, it seems like it's kind of turning a ship around, right? That there were so many policies that were put in place by the Trump administration that seem to be sort of polar opposites to what Biden intends to do. So how much latitude and power will these people have to make substantive change sometime in the pretty near-term future? Well, it's certainly going to take a lot of work. These different departments are going to be charged with writing new environmental rules. That will take time. They will also probably face lawsuits from Republican-controlled states, just as under Trump, the EPA and the Interior Department face lawsuits from democratically-controlled states. Biden also has to deal with Congress, too. It's an open question who's going to be controlling the Senate. It'll depend on the outcome of the two Georgia runoff elections. But either way... uh, Congress is going to be deeply divided and Biden's going to want to strike some sort of deal over climate change. And uh, it remains to be seen how possible that will be. Dino Grandoni writes about energy and the environment for The Post. for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag postreports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.